Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Um, begin by telling you a little bit about my own sports to meditation background. Um, so I was playing sports from a young age and uh, like mostly running around on field sports. So I played like field hockey and lacrosse. I grew up in Baltimore. So these were kind of common sports there, uh, although uncommon sports here on the West Coast. And uh, I remember actually a time when I was very young when I started to realize I was good at sports. I had an older brother and uh, I would always play with him and his friends and I could always keep up with them. But they expected me to and in fact would... Um, you know, harass me if I didn't, so I just expected that I would do that. But then when I started to compete with girls of my uh, sort of age group, I realized like, oh, I was actually good at this in some way. It was like a new thing. And it was really fun, and I loved doing it. And um, so sports became a big part of my life. And my family's originally from Sri Lanka, and um, my dad at one point, uh, who actually played field hockey in Sri Lanka, where it's a men's sport, like Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, it's actually like a men's sport, not a girl's sport. Uh, he told me, like, before your games, if you get nervous, uh, you could just sit there in their locker room and just, like, quietly breathe. Pay attention to your breath. If you're really nervous or you're having, feeling like you're coming apart, um, just do that for a few minutes, and that'll really help you get focused and centered. And so that's kind of how I started, is, like, uh, paying attention to the breath, which is the beginnings of uh, Buddhist meditation, of anapanasati, of uh, awareness of the breath. Uh, and then continued with that in different ways throughout my athletic career. So I played in junior high, I played in high school, was recruited for um, field hockey and lacrosse for college, um, offered scholarships, stuff like that, ended up playing intercollegiate sports, um, and switched to soccer, played rugby also, uh, got injured in many ways. I dislocated basically everything on the right side of my body I injured. I dislocated my shoulder playing rugby, uh, Tore out my knee playing soccer, uh, tore out my ankle playing lacrosse, uh, broke my tailbone playing ice hockey. So, you know, wide variety of sports injuries. <laughs> so also I want to talk about that, about dealing with injury or, you know, the mental and physical um, aspects of that too. And then along the lines, I got interested in meditation, actually more um, trying to understand different aspects of life and uh, started reading a lot of Dharma books and it made sense to me and tried to study meditation, study Buddhism and Hinduism in college. But then I realized like, oh, reading about it and thinking about it is different than actually knowing how to bring this into your life, like living this, you know. So I started uh, learning meditation. Uh, once when I was in college and when I finished college, I was so into it that I actually went on retreats, um, 10 day retreat, then a three month long retreat, uh, which was silent meditation retreat. Um, then stayed on for the rest of the year in this retreat center, which is on the East Coast, kind of like Spirit Rock. Um, then went to Sri Lanka and uh, practiced in monasteries, so lived there for a couple years. Went to India and uh, traveled around. So basically I spent between age 21 and 25 uh, practicing meditation. So during this time, my athletic life suffered because there's not many sports in the monasteries, really. Um, but I was just purely interested in this mental aspect. And then when I came back to the U.S. when I was about 25, 
part of the reason I came back was that I missed some of these other elements of my life, including playing sports. And particularly team sports for me had been such an important part of my life and the way I interact with people. And I felt like I learned so much about uh, leadership and uh, how to work with people and so on. So I got back into it playing sports and at the same time was uh, continuing with the meditation practice. And at a certain point, uh, my teacher told me that I should start um, teaching. And I was kind of reluctant to do that and I didn't really see how it all fit together so much. Um, It was kind of like my quiet sort of semi-secret thing that I did, you know. Uh, And when she told me to start teaching, I was actually in an MBA program. So then also it was like very not uh, (laughs) concurrent with that, it seemed like. Uh, as well as in this tradition, so when we teach, including like what I'm teaching here, we teach by donation. So actually, like I'm not getting paid by the center for this teaching. Uh, so this is because when you when you learn in monasteries, it's all done by donation. So the the monks and nuns and the teachers are uh, asked to offer generously what they know, and then the community is given the chance to sort of offer back support. So that's actually the situation here too. So there's a basket out there. So uh, whatever your registration fee goes to Spirit Rock for administrative stuff. And then uh, the people in, who participate in retreats and in classes here are asked to sort of sincerely engage with the practice of donation. So you can consider that uh, when you go out there too. So, but this is very um, countercultural for, uh, particularly for getting an MBA. It's like, how's that going to work, right? Um, but as I continued along, it became clear to me like, oh, this is actually very important to me and these skills are important. And um, I had doubt also, like, what do I have to offer compared particularly to, like, the monks and nuns who I knew who were lifers in this. But as things went along, also, I realized, like, actually, I have something more, something unique to offer, which is that I am a layperson, and I do regular things. Like, I play sports, and uh, I sing karaoke, and I have a job, and I ride public transport. And so then, how do you make all of this part of your practice? Like, how can there not be a separation between this? Um, so that became interesting to me, too, is not to just have a oh, meditation to be this one time I do this every day for half an hour to an hour, and then the rest of my life is like a chaotic mess or something. But it's like, how can you make everything part of your practice? So including playing sports, too. So then as a, uh, after that time, I played a lot of different sports, including I've brought some of my accoutrements of sports. I played ultimate frisbee. Uh, I played flag football here in San Francisco. Uh, soccer. Um, Most recently, I played softball for a season. Um, That's my softball bat. So I continued actually applying and being interested in how do you apply the sense of being present and the practice to uh, athletics. And part of this is also being able to connect the mind and the body, right? So not having that be separate and seeing how the mind affects the body, seeing how the body affects the mind. So what I want to offer here today is applications of Buddhist practice um, to make your athletic practice uh, kind of integrated part of your life and also ways to look at developing your mind. For some people who already have some kind of um, meditation practice, then it might be more seen in the context of how do I make this sport also part of my meditation? Because meditation in some ways is like a way of life, you know, it's not just what you do on the cushion. And for those of you who are new also, it might be just a way to engage with exploring this kind of vast field of understanding the mind and how the mind affects your body, how the mind affects your happiness and your success uh, and your life. 
so mostly I offer that in the context of like this being part of a broader path, because um, the Buddha himself didn't actually care about your athletic success, I will say. <laughs> um, but it is part of a whole integrated life. And as people, we engage in many different activities. And we're always actually cultivating something in our mind, whether we know it or not. So how do we pay attention in all different situations and uh, use that as support? So also there's been um, more and more attention lately to uh, the impact of the mind on the body for professional athletes. Uh, there's a lot of scientific studies, um, as Tyler's alluding to, like uh, that track how meditation affects different hormones and chemicals. And uh, it's basically proving that it works in some ways. And um, I have colleague, uh, colleagues who have coached in uh, sort of sports psychology and professional teams, so including one colleague who coached the LA Lakers and the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and uh, you know, helped Phil Jackson take that team, those teams to success uh, over uh, 11 seasons. Uh, and he's a Buddhist meditation teacher. Also, most recently, and I do hate to mention this, but the Seattle Seahawks, who had some success uh, recently. So one of the different things about their whole program is that they uh, actually focused on the mind-body connection, too. And it's interesting to hear, you know, they actually have a sports psychologist who works with the team on meditation, on mindfulness, and also just takes a whole holistically different approach to uh, working with people in a team. So there's an aspect, too, about culture on teams. And um, having played team sports, you know, coaches run their teams in very different ways. So sometimes coaches will be, you know, motivate you by fear and uh, yelling at you and uh, belittling people when they make mistakes and things like that. And apparently the uh, Seattle Seahawks Pete Carroll decided, like, what would it be like if I actually um, tried uh, from a different perspective to coach people? So, so apparently in the uh, usual NFL, uh, NFL camps, here's what they, they told people in the NFL Rookie Symposium. Um, Most of you won't be in this league three years from now. Nobody cares about your problems. The fans don't care. The media don't care. Owners don't care. We only care about results. So that's the usual way. And, uh, you know, that's not filled with loving kindness, you could say, right? <laughs> Give the sense like you, nobody cares about you and you're replaceable. So, so Pete Carroll, uh, you know, I've never spoken to him, so this is from what I've read, um, said like, what if we actually tried to develop a team in which uh, we cared about each individual and we were concerned about their success and we focused on their mind and their body um, and we developed a positive attitude about this. And some of the players said like nobody really thought it would work necessarily because they were so used to this other way of uh, grinding people down and criticizing and things. But they kind of went along with it. They had uh, good nutrition and they had uh, meditation sessions and yoga and all this kind of thing. And it really developed a different sense uh, among the teammates. So playing as a team uh, and they had some great success as we know. So many athletes now use this. So both individual athletes uh, develop, use meditation as a way to support their success. Uh, teams, both individuals on the teams, as well as implementing this in some team culture. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, some different ways to apply this. And I hope that at least something will be useful for you uh, in this. And 
like in any kind of workshop, you know, I would encourage you to try stuff that is offered, even if it seems a little strange or unusual. And then at the end of the day, you could decide what works for you and then use that in your life. And the other stuff you can leave here on the floor of the uh, hall. So. so any questions about what we're doing and things like that? Uh, so logistically speaking, um, we're going from 10 to 4 and now it's 10.30. We will break for lunch probably around 12, 12.30 or so. Uh, we'll have an hour for lunch. Um, we'll spend some time in movement and some time um, in meditation, seated meditation practice. And um, because it's a small group, I also want to allow time for questions and um, for people to inquire about what they want and to get what they want out of it. So, yeah. So did your family and dad practice meditation and mindfulness in general in their life, like when he told you to breathe? Not that I know of. I don't know where he got that from, actually. <laughs> he, well, he played sports himself. And, uh, I mean, being from Sri Lanka, it was mostly is a Buddhist country. So I think there may be a little bit of understanding of that. But uh, as far as I'm aware, he did not actually practice meditation himself. But he might have used that himself in sports. And he actually is a psychiatrist who's so interested in the mind. So I think from that standpoint, he, uh, he gave that tip to me. Um, the psychologist that you spoke of who worked with Phil Jackson? Yeah. Is he the one who wrote The Way of the Champion? He actually hasn't. He's writing a book now, but he hasn't written a book yet. He's kind of a low-key. His name is George Mumford. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he's an interesting guy, too. <clears throat> so, let's begin. Uh, so, as we learn to work with the, the mind, there's a couple of different... Uh, tools that can help us. And some people have mentioned these different qualities of mind uh, in their intros. So mindfulness being one of them. And um, those of you who are unfamiliar with that, so mindfulness is basically a state of being. So it's like cultivating a state of being that is awareness of what's happening in this moment and seeing clearly you know, what it is that's here prior to the judgments coming in, prior to the uh, filters that we usually have. So seeing clearly in this moment what is present here. And the Buddhist psychology uh, is taught that what our experience is, is, as a human being, is made up of the constant flow of experience through six sense doors. So let's see if we can name what they are. What are the six sense doors? Seeing. Seeing, all right. Hearing, yes. Smelling. Smelling. Feeling. Feeling. Body. Tasting. Yep. Good. Okay, that's five. Dun, dun. But what is the sixth? Thinking, yes. So sixth is, uh, <laughs> sixth is the mind itself is considered a sense door, which is unusual. So that's like not usually there in um, Western psychology. So when you're kindergarten, you learn the seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching but not necessarily that the mind is a sense door. So this is a helpful and important uh, dimension to, to look into. It's like, oh, what if the mind is a sense door? Just as the eye receives sights and the ear receives si- sounds, actually the mind receives thoughts and images. And so sometimes we call them memories, sometimes we call them plans, uh, sometimes they come <coughs> as pictures, sometimes they come as words. But it's this whole rich field that is very important for us to also attend to and to develop some understanding of. So that's where, for example, uh, we might have images of uh, ourselves succeeding in our sport, so positive imagery. 
Or that's where we might have images of ourselves failing. That's where the voice of doubt sometimes arises. You know, we can't do this. Um, we're never going to make it. And that's where also the voice of uh, confidence and the voice of encouragement also arises. Like, you can do this. Uh, you're going to finish the race. You know, this kind of thing. So one of the helpful things in meditation is to become aware, particularly of this sixth sense door of the mind and what's going on in the field of the mind. And being aware of this in a way that helps you to not necessarily believe every single thought or every single thing that comes through. So to realize that this is also just a flow of different experiences. And then uh, the first step is to become aware of that. And then after that, you can start to sort through them a little bit. You can start to learn to work with your mind, to make your mind your ally. Uh, in your life and in your sport and realize the things that undermine you in being successful and being happy uh, and learning to let go of those so not to invest in those in some way. So uh, it can be hard to become aware of that, the mind itself. The other part is becoming aware of the body. So what's actually happening in the body in the moment, the physical body. So uh, on a large scale, as we play sports, like we train in body awareness. So if you're making a foul shot, like here's the form, you know, and we'll train in specific movements and, uh, you know, refined ways of of becoming aware. So I started playing softball um, this past year. And for example, when I first started playing, when I was batting, I was just using my arms and hands to hit. And then it was told to me like, oh, use your hips, you know, use your hips to swing. And then you get the full torque momentum of the whole body. Um, So then, you know, putting that into practice, right? So some body awareness athletes learn and develop through the regular training. Uh, Some of it on a more refined level, meditation can really help too. So becoming uh, aware on a deeper and deeper level, on a more and more subtle level of what's happening in the body. And this can specifically also help when there's a sense of an injury or something like that. So a lot of what happens in those cases is there's some physical sensation in the body, uh, and then there are thoughts about it, concurrent thoughts about it. And the thoughts cause us to be afraid or to contract. Sometimes the thoughts are thoughts of projecting into the future, like how bad this injury is going to be, or how I'm not going to be able to do this or that. And actually in the moment, it's just like this, like it's just one twinge happened. But the mind has gone kind of crazy with it and built a whole story around it. So learning to see through in that way, like what's actually happening in the body versus what's happening in the mind and uh, what do I really need to believe can be extremely helpful for our own happiness. So the, one of the stories about this is um, in the Buddhist tradition is like someone goes into a cave and they paint a picture of a tiger and then they look at the picture of the tiger and they go, ah, tiger, and they run out screaming, right? So like, what happened there? Like, where was the tiger? There's no tiger. They made the tiger, but they forgot they made the tiger. So as you pay attention to your mind, you can see how this might happen too in your mind. You know, it kind of plays out. And sometimes the stuff that we are uh, imagining plays out in some way that then becomes uh, uh, a story that we live, even though it didn't actually happen. So I don't know how many of you have been watching the World Series uh, Giants uh, and so on, right? Uh, so in the game before this one, there was an incident where a um, younger pitcher, Hunter Strickland, I think, right? He, people have been hitting home runs off him a lot in the postseason, which is not a good thing, right? So uh, 
this happened to him again, and he clearly got really upset about it. And then uh, he started to yell at the this guy who was coming around the bases. And it wasn't even the guy who hit the home run. It was this guy who hit a double who was just coming in. And he basically just lost it and started yelling at him. And in his account of this later, he says, like, oh, uh, I thought he was saying something to me. Like, I thought he was mocking me or something. I thought he was mocking me in Spanish, he said also. And I didn't know what he was saying, so I got mad, right? So, you know, it's possible this played out in his mind, but the guy who was actually rounding the bases was like, I didn't say anything to him. After he started yelling, I was like, why are you yelling at me? I wasn't even the guy who hit the home run. Like, I was the guy who hit the double. I'm just walking around the bases, you know. So, it was embarrassing for him. It's like he yelled at this guy and he lost his cool and um, he got pulled out of the game, actually, right? He couldn't uh, keep his composure. So in this way, also, this affects us. And uh, I remember also in the um, one of the World Cups, like maybe eight years ago, it was a French national team, right? And Zidane, the, their key player, their, he was a mature guy in his late 30s. And uh, towards the end of the, the game, there's France-Italy, right? Uh, Italian player said something to him. He started to walk away, and then he turned around and headbutted this guy. And because these guys are strong, these soccer players, the headbutt sent this guy flying, right? Do <laughs> anyone remember this? Uh, and he got kicked out of the game also, and that was the end, right? And he probably his staying in the game might have allowed his team to win, but they lost, right? So I was like, okay, in the middle of competition then, how can we maintain our composure, see what's really true, you know, be able to see what's coming up in the mind and be able to let go of the things that are unhelpful, you know, and maintain our balance with all of this, right? So I've talked a lot about um, the team sports. Um, I also have started practicing individual sports more, uh, now, as I get on in years, as uh, I've been playing club sports, and it seems like there is always uh, like a new wave of 21-year-olds who have just finished playing collegiate athletes to compete against. So as you get older, it gets a little harder to you know <laughs> continue this. Um, so I have gotten into swimming um, and uh, cycling a lot, and in uh, in swimming, uh, have been practicing with uh, stroke definition and. I just learned how to swim the butterfly from uh, watching videos on YouTube, which was very interesting, right? Uh, but I noticed also, even like in cycling, I do some spinning classes sometimes, and uh, you know, I do have some sense of like competitiveness built in from my long years of team sports. So sometimes I notice myself trying to compete with other people, and then it's kind of funny because it's like, oh, we're on stationary bicycles, <laughs> and <laughs> in a spinning class, we're not going anywhere, and uh, you know. So it's not necessarily bad, but it's interesting to see that sort of play out. Right? Many times it's actually you competing against yourself too, you know, particularly in individual sports. So noticing, like, how is that for me? And what's healthy? Like, what, what is a helpful attitude towards competitiveness? What are the thoughts that are coming up that are supporting me to be able to perform well and actually also to enjoy the sport, to have fun with it, right? And at what point also do I become, like, too serious about it such that the thing that was, like, the joy in my life has become uh, a big drag, you know, it's become like a very painful and uh, unpleasant thing that I have to do all the time. Right? So how can I reconnect with joy? So uh, I'll teach you some practices that can help. And the first one is uh, this very simple one that my dad taught me, actually, about paying attention to the breath. And this helps as a way to develop a sense of focus, right? And focus is a very important aspect of uh, developing as an athlete, too letting go of distractions, uh, and also the sense of mindfulness, of being present, of knowing what's actually happening in this moment. 
So paying attention to the breath seems sometimes like a very Mickey Mouse exercise, a basic exercise. Uh, it sounds easy, uh, but it's not. <laughs> it's simple, uh, but it can be difficult to do this in some continuous way. So the trick with this is to not expect yourself to do it perfectly. The training is actually in noticing when you're present with the breath and then noticing when you're not. And when you're not, just bringing the attention back. And we don't have to flagellate ourselves about it. We don't need to yell at ourselves about it. It's like just coming back, coming back, coming back. So this actually develops the muscle of concentration, of developing collectedness, um, which is very helpful and important. And actually my friend who, um, who coached the, uh, with the uh, Lakers and the Bulls said that um, Michael Jordan was one of the people he met who had the greatest concentration that he's, of anyone he's ever met. But he said, I can't take credit for it because he naturally had it. And then the meditation helped him develop it further. You know, but, so this concentration, this collectedness, which people have through different activities that they uh, do in their life is a very important factor for success, I'd say. So why don't we try it, but maybe you've been sitting here for a while, so why don't we start by doing a little stretching, okay? So we'll start with, with developing body awareness, even as we're doing something very simple, like shifting from sitting to standing. So I want you to just notice what it feels like as you're sitting here, whatever posture that you're in. So you can feel what it feels like to have your butt on the cushion or the chair. Just notice the pressure there. You can notice what it feels like to have your feet on the ground, however that is. And then we're going to stand up. And you can notice sometimes, even as we start to stand up, what it requires to stand up is kind of a little rush of energy. There's a rush of energy that kind of unfolds the body in this way. So as you stand up, just feel what it feels like to stand up. So we can do that in whatever natural way that you want. And then just really simply feeling yourself standing. So you feel your feet on the ground like this. You might notice if there's different amounts of weight on the left or the right. It's not wrong, however it is, but just notice what that's like. And you could notice even as you move your attention up your legs, how that is. So maybe there's tension in your thighs or calves. Just noticing something about how you stand in some way. You might also notice that as the body is standing, seemingly still, there's always a little bit of motion that's there. So that also is natural, the body just rebalancing itself. And we can just be aware of how that happens naturally. So then we'll move our hands up in the air. And as you do that, feel what it feels like to stretch. You can allow yourself to stretch up high and notice how it feels in the body as the body is stretching out, different muscles changing, maybe tension. And then relaxing back down. And then we'll do it again. So reaching up, notice how it feels as you're stretching. And then coming back down. 
And one more time, last time, reaching up, stretching, feeling the muscles, maybe to notice things in the back or different parts, and then relaxing back down. And then you can shift back to the seated posture and notice how it feels as you're refolding yourself down here. So for the meditation practice of developing this concentration and mindfulness, there's a couple of um, pointers that are helpful to keep in mind. One is that the, the stability of the body helps the stability of the mind. So if we can find a position where the body can be relatively stable, meaning that we don't have to fidget because we're in pain a lot, then that helps to support being aware of the mind, developing the mind in this way. Uh, so you could sit on a chair, you could sit cross-legged, you could sit, sit kneeling. All of those are legit postures. Just whatever helps you to feel like, okay, we can sit here for uh, some time. So we'll sit for um, maybe up to half an hour, but not more than half an hour together. And I'll give you instructions while we do this. So uh, try to find the posture where you can sit sort of comfortably, and chair is totally fine, legit if you want, or cross-legged. Okay. And first thing you want to do is just feel your body as you're sitting here. So you can feel your place where you're seated. You can feel your feet on the ground. So if you feel comfortable, you could gently close your eyes. So this helps you to not be distracted by stuff outside and helps you to focus on the mind rather than the visual field. And then you can bring your attention to the sense of yourself breathing. So very simply, the body breathing. You could notice that wherever it's easiest to notice it. You could notice it in your chest, rising and falling, in your belly. Sometimes people like to notice at the nostrils, like how it feels as the breath is going in and out there. So try not to strain with it, but just receive the sensations of breath. You have nothing else to do during this time. So you can see if you can notice the breath from the beginning of the in-breath, what it feels like when the air first starts entering your body. And then you could even notice, is there a pause between in-breath and out-breath? And then what does it feel like as you breathe out? So you're developing your ability to know your body in a greater detailed way. 
and in a more continuous way. And this will help you in your sport. And just let sounds be in the background. And if possible, you can also just let thoughts be in the background. If it helps, you can use a light mental note. So you can just note very quietly in your mind, breathing in or in on the in-breath, and breathing out or out on the out-breath. If you find your attention has shifted to some thoughts or images in your mind, as soon as you notice that, you could also label that. So what is going on that you're aware of? Is thinking, is planning, fantasizing? Whatever it is, you can just label that and notice that that's what you're aware of. And then try to gently let it go, bring your attention back, connect again with the breath.
you want to make a game of it, you can see if you can track five breaths in a row without getting distracted. You could even count them. If you get lost in thought in the middle, then you shift back again to one. And if you manage to connect for five, then you can see if you can do six or seven. And see if you can even get up to ten. As you're doing this, though, notice if you start to lean forward or push into the next breath. So we want to just allow the breath to come naturally. So can we be patient and wait for that? The body to naturally breathe as it does on its own.
So it could be that by now there's some other part of your body that might be calling your attention. So it could be that some part has started to itch or start to hurt or anything like that. If that's so, before you feel compelled to move, we'll just try practicing bringing mindfulness to that area of the body. So what this means is bringing attention to that part of the body to feel what is this actually like. So beyond my idea of my foot hurts or my knee hurts, just bringing the attention there so that you know what is the direct sensation of an itch or of a twinge. Is it hot or cold? Is it vibration? Is it pulling? Noticing how it changes, how it's not one thing when you actually pay attention to it. And then seeing if you can notice how that's different than your thoughts about it. So the thoughts about the experience of the body are different than the experience of the body. They may be related and conditioned by each other. But the mental experience and the physical experience are distinct. So shortly you're going to hear the sound of the bell, which will mark the end of our sitting practice. So when you hear the sound of the bell, you could keep your eyes closed, but allow your attention to shift to the field of hearing. 
So allow yourself to just hear the sound of the bell as it begins to ring out, as it rings out, and even as the sound fades. So if your attention wavers off of that during that time, you can notice that and just gently bring it back again, connect again with the sound of the bell arising. And when you can't hear any bell anymore, when it's all rung out, then you can open your eyes and return to the group. If you feel like you need to stretch or shift your posture, shift to a chair, you should feel free to do that. It's totally fine. So what we're doing there is uh, cultivating some mindfulness, awareness of the breath, of what's actually happening, and then of the body And then also developing this concentration, this collectedness, sense of focus. And this is actually connected to uh, something that athletes chase often, which is the state of flow, right? Or sometimes they talk about like being in the zone. So I think most of you probably know something. I've had experiences of this, and I think for many of us who are athletes, this is in fact like the thing that drives us to continue, the thing that is this elusive state of being completely connected to what you're doing, uh, having no separation from the activity itself, and uh, where everything falls into place, and it seems like there's a timelessness to what's happening. And in fact, everything sometimes seems to be in slow motion. It's like if you're playing a ball sport, it's like the ball is just hanging there, just waiting to be hit, right? Boom. And everyone else seems to be standing still. It's just so clear what to do, you know, what's, what's there uh, to do. There's a complete lack of sense of self-consciousness. And there's no sense of conflict, too. So even if there is a goal, like putting the ball in the goal or something like that, uh, a sense of aggression or competitiveness in this way has fallen away, and it's just so clear exactly what has to happen for this. So some of the elements of this state of flow are uh, developing a sense of concentration. And... When I talk to people about this concentration, it's a factor of mind. You know, it, the, the physical part is a training of the body, but the part about the flow is really related to the mind. So as we usually go about our lives, 
we have developed a sense of distraction. So particularly nowadays in our multitasking society, uh, it's like, oh, the phone is always buzzing and binging, and then talk to this person, and we're watching TV while we're doing our email, and you know, we're actually cultivating a sense of distractedness. So it's helpful to look at, like, what would it be like to cultivate a sense of unity, you know, a sense of collectedness? And this is a metaphor I use for this, but why this is helpful is, like, supposing that you had only three pictures of this situation here. So one is you have this picture of the glass on the table. The second picture you have is the glass in midair, because it's falling off the table. And the third picture you have is the glass on the ground, broken, with a bunch of water everywhere. So in that case, if you had only those three pictures, it would seem like, how was I supposed to do anything about it? It was on the table, then it was in midair, and then the next thing it was on the floor. There was nothing to do. There was no moment to be able to intervene in that. But what happens in these situations is actually there's many, many pictures in between. So if you had momentary pictures, if you got it in slow motion, it would be like, you know, there'd be like, say, uh, 200 pictures in this same sequence. We just missed 197 of them. (laughs) So why do we miss 197 of them? Because we're like, oh, the glass of water is on the table. I wonder what I'm going to eat for lunch. I wonder how long this workshop is going. And then suddenly it's in the midair, like, oh, the glass is falling. What should I do when the glass is falling? That reminds me of another glass I had. Anyway, boom, right? (laughs) So in the meantime, it's like, oh, what happened to that, right? So when we develop this concentration, you know, even with something very simple, like the breath itself is good for uh, developing our concentration, partly because it's always there while you're alive. Once you no longer feel the breath, then you might be dead. So, uh, you know, it's always there as a thing to connect with, whether it's faint or whether it's great or large or shallow or deep. And so you can track that. And as we track that with the breath, you might also notice something similar to what I was saying with this glass, where sometimes you catch the beginning and then you drift off in the middle and then you catch something in the middle and then drift off and then like that. And it's okay. You know, this is part of the training, the mental training. Uh, But it's possible to have a greater continuity of uh, presence. You're developing a greater continuity of collectedness, uh, of focus, I'd say. And this can help you both in your sport and in your life, you know, to be able to do that. And it's not necessarily like you have to do that all the time, but could you do that if you wanted to? So that's what we find often when we're um, doing what seems like a very simple exercise, like follow the breath. Oh, that seems simple. Like seems like a little kid could do that, right? Uh, And then you start to do it and you realize like, oh, the attention's going off all the time and I'm not always present for long stretches of time and... So it's interesting to see that, and it's something that everyone can get better at. So it's, uh, it's part of the training. Um, what's helpful is being very patient with yourself. Um, and wherever it is that you start from, you can progress from there, basically. Right? So there's the collectedness part, and then there's the being present part and seeing what's actually there. So that means noticing what it actually feels like in the body when it's breathing. And the breath is such a simple thing it can be felt on many different levels. So you can just feel sort of in, out, in, out. Or you can feel kind of the full spectrum of the rising, the crescendo, if there's a space between, the falling like that. So as we do that, we develop also uh, a greater refinement of attention, you could say. And the metaphor I get for this one is kind of like, you know, if you're looking at an eye chart, if you go to the eye doctor, usually at the top of the chart there's a giant E, and uh, most people can see that giant E. But then it gets smaller and smaller rows of letters, right? And then, you know, you get to a certain point, you can't really see the smaller ones. And if you, or if you can, it means you need glasses and 
stuff like that, right? So in this way, as we start to, to focus on something with greater and greater refinement, we're kind of honing our vision. We're able to see greater and greater detail of the body, of experience, of what's happening. So that means actually getting more and more of these little pictures here as it's going on. You know? So we're able to see with greater detail. Or else it's like, if you look at this carpet, when you walked in, you might be like, oh yeah, seems to be kind of tan, and then there's this red one. But then as you start to look at it more closely, you're like, well, actually it's tan, but then it has some dark flecks in it. And then maybe even the tan part kind of varies in color. Uh, I don't know if that's the carpet or stains or footprints, but still, you know, it's like, it's different than when you first look at it. Or the red part, actually, oh, the red part actually has tan in it too. And there's light red and then there's dark red. And so you notice greater detail, you know, as you start to pay attention like that. So this is also how we can start to notice greater detail. You know, we notice greater detail about what's happening in the physical body. We can notice greater detail of what's happening uh, externally, how the conditions are uh, as we're on the field or in the water or something like that. And then the more information we're able to take in on a more refined basis, then the better chance we have of being able to basically respond appropriately to that. So being able to read those signs and then go forward. And sometimes as you develop this ability also, it seems like uncanny, you know, as if like you knew what was going to happen before it happened. So if you're, if you're not seeing that, then it seems like, oh, that was like miraculous. But then if you actually got a hundred pictures running up to here, it's not actually a miracle that you knew this thing was going to fall, right? Like you saw it moving towards the edge, you saw it starting to fall. So then when you go to catch it, it might seem miraculous if you only got two pictures, but it just is like, oh, of course, that was what is happening. So the appropriate thing is to catch it. Uh, so this is what we're developing, is this ability to be connected, to be collected, to be present in this way. And that will serve you both in your sport and in your life. Uh, because just as there is this question with uh, the glass, and as there could be with sort of like what's about to happen in the playing field, similarly, sometimes people are like, oh, what happened to my marriage? Or how did I get old? Or what, you know, it's like these things where it was like, oh, there was some progression that was happening. We just weren't paying attention to that, you know, uh, like. Something was going on, but we were not tuned in. We were tuned in like one moment, and then we missed a couple years, and then we were tuned in again, and then we missed another period. And you know, uh, so it helps in relationships too, and all different ways um, for us to develop this. So let me pause and see if there's any questions about the exercise that we did, and maybe yeah, we can turn off the tape if it's still going there. Thank you. Any questions about your experience or the instructions I gave?